Revelation chapter 8. Remember that God created everything in six days. One thing he created were the angelic realm. All of the angels, a myriad, a myriad upon myriad of angels. But one of them, Lucifer, rebelled against his creator. And he did not just want to worship God or give praise to God or uh, bring all the music to, the, to God's glory. He wanted to be God. He wanted to dethrone God and take over and sit in the, in the highest seat of the universe, the place that only God dwells. So Satan became God's greatest enemy. And when Adam and Eve were created as, that is, our parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan was able to deceive Eve and get Adam and Eve on his side. So mankind joined the rebellion against God. And man, who at one time, God had given dominion over all this planet to rule over it, to rule over all creation. And isn't that any wonder that it's in us to conquer outer space? We want to conquer the depths of the sea. We want to tame the animals. I mean, on and on, we're trying desperately to do what God put in our hearts, to have rule and dominion over, over this world, and yet it'll never be right because of sin. Jesus Christ has to take this planet back from the, the reign of Satan, and he's going to give it to Jesus Christ. And Jesus will rule on this planet for 1,000 years in glory and righteousness. And that's the day that we're waiting. When Jesus Christ comes back to this planet, he takes control of this planet from the devil. He'll bind the devil up and cast him into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And then he will rule and reign on this earth. And what a, what a government that will be. It will be spectacular. I don't know if you saw the inauguration on Friday. But that is nothing, as grand as that was, and it was very grand, it was nothing compared to the the entrance of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem someday. You know how it's going to be. He's going to come back from from heaven. He's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split in two. The mountain is going to split in two. Half of it will move north, and half of it will move south, and there'll be a valley that will be created. I call it the Valley of Jehoshaphat from the book of Joel. And there, the Lord Jesus will judge all the nations. We'll get to that later in, in the book of Revelation, but he will judge all the nations. Those who believe in him will enter into the kingdom, and those who re- re- reject him will be cast into torment. But then comes the entrance of the king, and you have things like Psalm 24. You've got l- lots of passages in Isaiah. Remember how I told you the, 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 um, the sidewalks will be like cosmetics. The, the word cosmetics is used. It's gonna, it, the, the sidewalks, the banners, the music, as Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem is going to be the most phenomenal spectacle, and we're going to be there. We're going to get seats right up there with the groom, because he's our groom and we're his bride, and we're going to watch as he comes across the Kidron Valley, And the eastern gates swing open. And just like the psalmist says in Psalm 24, open the gates, open the gates, for the king of glory is coming. Here he comes. And the music's going to go, and the banners and the flags are going to cover the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine the singing and just the joy, the laughter? And then Jesus Christ will come, and he'll walk into the eastern gate, and then we'll follow along, and we'll all get inside the city of Jerusalem, and we'll watch as Jesus ascends the dais, and he sits down on his throne, and we're like, finally, the Son of Man, the Son of God, is seated on the throne where he belongs. We enter the kingdom age. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be glorious. Your position in the government is based on what? 
your faithfulness right now. If you're faithful in little things right now, not having seen Christ, in that day, it'll be glorious for you. Do you see? We're in training right now. We're, we're in training. And the Lord, we just want to be faithful to little things that we do in the church, encouraging one another, teaching one another, sharing the gospel, praying for one another, serving one another. That's what God has called us to do. Anyways, it's going to be a glorious day. And we're in the book of Revelation chapter 8 as we're looking at the seventh seal being opened. You know that there's a, a scroll up in heaven that John sees, the Apostle John. It has writing on both sides. And there are seven seals. Probably one seal here. You break it open and you can read a little bit. And then another, another seal, and that's broken. And then another wax seal, and that's broken. And nobody in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open it. And so John wept because whoever can open the scroll has dominion over this earth and can take it from Satan, the prince of the power of, the air of this day. Finally, Jesus steps forward as the lamb that has been slain from the foundation of the world. He grabs the scroll. We're going to watch this someday. He grabs the scroll, takes the scroll out of the Father's hand, and everybody's waiting with bated breath. What happens? He unleashes the first the first seal, and we know what it is. As he unleashes the, the first seal, we hear a horse galloping down the streets of gold and is heading for planet Earth, and antichrists, false Christs, are going out spreading lies and deceiving men and women, boys and girls, so they will not believe in Jesus. That was the first seal. And then he moved on, and as we watched, and we, we already studied this in Revelation 6, if you'd like to go it, to it, the second, the second seal was opened, and the second one was a fiery red horse that galloped down the streets of gold, and to him was given the ability to, to, to have people on earth kill one another with a sword. They're going to destroy one another out of their greed and their selfishness, completely destroy the, each other with that conflict. The third one, as the third seal is opened and as the scroll is getting more and more defined... Another horse is galloping down the street, and it's a man holding a set of scales in his hand. And then there's a voice of the Lord that cries out and says, A quart of wheat it will cost a denarius, a whole day's wage for a loaf of bread. There's going to be such famine and such need and want on this earth. And then the fourth seal is opened. And there it's death in Hades, and a fourth of the population will die. We're talking in a matter of three and a half years, one-fourth of the world's population, over seven billion people, will perish. They will die. Whether it's through famine, disease, wild beasts, natural disasters, earthquakes of all kinds, that's going to happen. That's like all of South America and all of Africa dying. The fifth seal is opened, and there underneath the altar of the temple up in heaven, because up in heaven it's a tabernacle, underneath the altar where animals were slain, John sees the souls of martyred men and women. Men and women like you and I, who love Jesus, and then they were killed for it. And this is all going to happen in the future. They will be killed for believing in Jesus Christ, and they're crying out with this prayer. Lord, when will you take vengeance on the enemy? When will you put them down for what they have done to us? They have rejected you and opposed you. They have taken our lives because of the word of God and our testimony of Jesus Christ. When will you bring satisfaction and honor and glory to your name? And the Lord says, wait. It's going to happen. I will do it, but wait. 
Right now, you rest. I'm going to give you a set of white clothes that demonstrate the righteousness that I've given you, and you just rest until more people will die. And when that number is complete, then I'll take vengeance on them. And then the sixth seal is opened. And the sixth seal is the sun turning black, the moon as blood, Stars fall from heaven like a fig tree that's shaken when its figs are ripe. If you've ever been to the Middle East during that season, you barely touch the branch and it just rains down figs. And you're going to look up at the heavens and you're going to see the Big Dipper and it'll just fall apart. You're looking at Orion and the belt of Orion and all of a sudden you're like, my whole life they've been there and now they're falling and chunks of those are falling to the earth and we'll hear about that in a little bit. That's a devastating day. So much so that the mighty men and the, and the small men, the free men and the slave men, all mankind will seek to find crevices to hide. They will go to caves and mountains and they will say, oh, if this mountain would crush me and kill me because the wrath of the Lamb is coming and I cannot face him. Who is able to stand when the Lamb of God comes with his wrath? And the answer is in chapter 7. Two groups of people. Jewish believers... And Gentile believers, that covers everybody. God will supernaturally protect 144,000 Jewish people. They will be saved by reading the Bible, by understanding the gospel. They will be saved, and they will live through the entire seven years of great tribulation. And they will witness to men and women from every tribe and every tongue on this planet. And there will be a multitude of believers from every nation and every tongue and every social standing. And they will be up in heaven because they will give their lives for Jesus. Many, many people will give their lives for Jesus. And there will be a great, great multitude praising God up in heaven. Because Satan doesn't get the victory. Satan loses all the time. You follow him, you will lose. Guaranteed. Isn't that true? And now we come to chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal... Because now it's the last seal of the document. There's only seven seals. It's three and a half years into seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half are going to seem like a Sunday school picnic compared to the last three and a half. Jesus calls the last three and a half years in Matthew 24 a time of great tribulation, such that this world has never, ever, ever seen. Whatever they experienced in three and a half years with famine, with a loaf of bread taking a whole day's wage, how do you feed your children with that? When there is a fourth of the world's population that dies, can you think of the funerals and the burials and the the stench of death? When you have famine and pestilence and earthquakes, when you have wars and rumors of wars, and you have all these false teachers of religion going around propagating their lies. That's bad. But at this point, it's going to get really bad. The seventh seal. When the seventh seal is opened, John, and I'm going to read this in a minute, the seventh seal is not one judgment. The seventh seal contains seven judgments, which are represented by seven angels holding seven trumpets. All right, can I take you back to the Old Testament? Do you mind? Let me take you back to the Old Testament. I'm going to take you back to the book of Joshua. In the matter of war with ancient Israel, because the book of Revelation is a book of a war, It is the war of Jesus Christ coming back to defeat Satan, to humble the Gentile nations, and to humble Israel so that Israel would receive him as as their king. But it's a battle, is what it is. Revelation is a great, gigantic, galactic battle. But when Israel went into battle, 
they always had priests with trumpets that would sound the music for the, for the battle. And then following, the, like this happened in Jericho with Joshua. Now, by the way, you know the name Joshua in the, in the New Testament? Jesus. Yes. So Joshua is a type of Jesus. Jericho is a type of this world that is going to face great tribulation. And Joshua was to take the nation with seven priests, with seven trumpets, followed by the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant pictures the presence of God. That's where God dwelt on earth, right over the Ark of the Covenant. So picture this. Picture seven priests in their outfits, and you've got the Ark of the Covenant being carried by four priests, and then you have the men of war following, and they're walking around the city of of Jericho once. Go back. They do it again on the second day, once around. They do it the third day. The people of Jericho are shut in. They cannot leave, and they must be panicking. What is this silly nation doing? They're walking around our city once, and then they go home. And the next day, they walk around once. This is very strange. And then on the last day, they walk around how many times? Seven times. And then Joshua cries out, when you hear the trumpets, and hear the sh- when you hear the trumpets, you shout, and the walls will fall down. And sure enough, the trumpets blared, the people shouted, and the walls crumbled. A victory that day for Israel. So picture this. Jesus is ready to make his descent to earth. It's been three and a half years. He's been working to humble hard hearts. Men and women who don't care about Jesus, they don't care about heaven or spiritual things or righteousness. They just love sin. God has been trying to break their heart, humble them, humble them, humble them. And many have believed and many have resisted. So now the Lord says, okay, seven angels will have seven trumpets. The ark in Revelation 11, the ark of the covenant is, is seen. And then soon Jesus descends. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? That, those final battles we're going to cover in detail. Phenomenal. It's a day that is coming. Jesus right now is seated with the right hand of the Father. He is going to come back to this planet someday. And it could be in our lifetime. We could be taken up, and it could happen with our neighbors and people we go to school with. It, it could very well happen that Jesus comes back in our lifetime. I have no doubt he could come back at any moment for the church. So that's the picture that we get. Verse, chapter 1, verse 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, listen to this, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Isn't that strange? Why? Well, I can just give some guesses. We don't know anything from the scriptures, but I'm thinking this. 30 seconds of silence in our day is a long time, isn't it? If I were to not talk right now for 30 seconds, you would feel like that's 10 hours. 30 minutes of silence is almost deafening. We are, we are so, we're always listening to something. We've either got the news on or music on or something on in the back all the time, right? There's hardly any time to think. There's hardly any time in our culture to just be still and be quiet before the Lord. Zephaniah says, in the great day of the coming of the Lord, be silent, heavens and earth, because the day of the Lord is near. It's coming. I think it's this. I think there's silence in heaven and on earth as people wait to see what judgment's coming next. What is going to hit planet earth next? So there's kind of like a waiting expectation of what kind of tragedy or tribulation will we suffer? But I also think it's this. God is is merciful. 
How many people does God want to go to hell? None. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think this is just an, an act of mercy on God's part where he says, the judgments are coming, the angels are ready, but I'm going to give you a half an hour. Think about the witnesses of the 144,000. Think about the Gentiles that have testified of their faith and given their life for my son Jesus. Think about it. Humble yourself and call upon his name. I think God is giving them one more opportunity. Please be saved. Trust Jesus. I really do. I think he's, he's just waiting to the last possible second before the judgment falls. Listen, if you trust Jesus today, you're, you're guaranteed your eternal home with Christ. Guaranteed. If you reject today, tomorrow, the next day, I mean, who knows what will transpire? Do you understand why 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, today is the day of salvation? Don't neglect it. Don't put it off. Today is the day. Who, who would wait? So God says, I'm going to give a little more time, a half an hour of silence. And then listen. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So soon, in just a few minutes, we're going to begin to listen to the sound of the trumpet and what happens on earth when the trumpets are sounding. But before that, John reveals, Jesus reveals through John, that this angel with the censers, this is this angel with the gold censer. Do you guys have any idea how important that is? Okay, it is huge. I, I'm gonna, I have no choice. I've got to tell you about this. It is not easy. I'm not talking, this is A, B's, and C's. This is like calculus when it comes to theology. But so are, you, are you willing to go through this with me right now? I'm going to tell you about the golden censer and what is so significant about it. I've been telling Melissa all week, and it's, it's taken me seven days, and I'm still not done telling it. I can't even do it in ten minutes. I can't. I, I can try to pare it down and give you the very, very basics, but, and I'm going to try right now. You take what I say, Check it out in scripture and dig deep. I will guarantee there is more to this golden censer than you and I can imagine. You may think, golden censer, who cares? I care, and I think hopefully you will care soon. All right, let me take you back. Two things you need to know in order to understand what's going on in Revelation 8. First of all is this, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the dwelling place of God on earth. So I'm going to take you back to the Garden of Eden. God's goal and purpose with his, man, his race of mankind, God wants to dwell with us, and we, he wants us to dwell with him. True? He wants to be our God and we to be his people. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer to be able to be with him. There was no more fellowship. There was no relationship. It was broken because of sin. So for many years, God could not dwell on earth. He just couldn't. Because he cannot dwell with sinful man. So then Moses comes along in 1400 BC. And God says, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a tent. And I want to dwell in the tent 
amongst my people. And I want to teach them there's only one way that, can, that they can come and see me. So the tabernacle is vital. And we don't have the time to go in all the pictures of the tabernacle. But uh, if you go to Israel with me, I will take you to the desert. Melissa and I will take you to the desert. And out in the middle of the desert of the Negev, you will see a tabernacle the same size and I think the same design, exactly what the Bible speaks of. It is phenomenal. It has one door. How many ways to heaven? One. That's all we can talk about that. When you walk in, there's a bronze altar, and the bronze altar is where the animal sacrifice was given. That's where the animal was killed. The blood was poured at the base of the altar, and the animal was, was barbecued. It was cooked up on this bronze altar. It was saying, my sin deserves death. This animal died in my place, and now I can go further and fellowship with God. That's what it said. My sin needs a death. The animal died for me, but when I sin again, what do I need? Another animal. I sin again, I need another animal. I sin again, I need another animal. Until Jesus came, when he died, his, sin, his death paid for all of my sin once for all. So there's no more need for animal sacrifices, but that was the purpose of that. But then you go to the bronze laver. We see the bronze laver, by the way, in Revelation 4. We see the bronze um, altar in Revelation Six. So you'll see all of these things, they're up in heaven right now. They're up. We go to heaven right now, you would see a bronze altar, you would see a sea of glass, not a sea of bronze, but you'll see a sea of glass. You'll see all of this in heaven, I really believe. So you go into the tent, and you have a table of showbread on the right, you have a menorah, a candelabra, um, on the left, and right in the front, right in front of the veil, is an altar of incense. Are you with me? So the altar of incense is critical. It is the closest you can get to the presence of God. And then once a year, you, the high priest could go behind the veil because what was behind the veil? Behind the veil was a cube. It was a room the same length, width, and height, and that is where God dwelt above the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant. All right, this is so cool. Our new city, Jerusalem, what, what shape is it? A cube. So when we live in the new city, Jerusalem, Revelation 21 and 22, we're going to live in a cube because it represents the Holy of Holies where God dwells. We're going to dwell in his very presence for all eternity. It's phenomenal. Do you agree with that? All right. So, so I want to talk about the Day of Atonement. So you have to understand that. So do you understand that? So then we'll talk about the golden, the golden censer. What, what happened with that? So now, that's one thing you need to understand about the tabernacle. The second thing you need to understand is Leviticus 16. Do you understand Leviticus 16? I would say if there's any chapter you ever need to know, that's the chapter you need to know. Leviticus 16, it is the most important chapter, I think. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So here it is. God told Israel seven times a year, I want you to meet with me. It's going to be a holiday. Seven times you meet with me, and I'll tell you what you do when you meet with me. But we're going to have an appointment. But it's like, get this on your Google Docs calendar, and you, seven times a year, you're going to meet with me in Jerusalem. Three times in the spring, once about in the month of May, and then three times in the fall. Now, Jesus fulfilled all three feasts in the spring. Here's what happened. God said, meet with me on the day of Passover. Passover is when they killed the Passover lamb. That is the day Jesus died on the cross. That exact day. Then there was a seven-day feast of unleavened bread where you thanked God for the, the seed that was in the soil 
Because the seed went in the ground in the spring and it brought forth a harvest. And whose body was placed in the tomb? Jesus, on the day of unleavened bread. So you've got Passover is his death. The feast of unleavened bread, the picture of his burial. The feast of first fruits was the third feast. It's the day of resurrection. When you would take the first of the harvest and shake it before God, it is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Something huge happened on each one of those days. Passover, unleavened bread, and feast of first fruits. Feast of First Fruits. That was Jesus' first coming. Now, what happened on the middle feasts? The feast in May. The day it was the day the church was born. So that was the day the law was given and the church was born. That's phenomenal. That was already fulfilled. But now let's talk about the fall feasts. There were three fall feasts: the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of, or the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So, Feast of Trumpets, first day of the tenth month. I think that day will take place with the rapture. I think the trump sounding and the church caught up will be fulfilled for that day of the, of the, of, of the Feast of Trumpets. Then the next feast is the Day of Atonement. And then following the Day of Atonement, you have seven days, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a reason why I'm telling you all of this. The Feast of Tabernacles is when you remembered God dwells with you. And what is the only feast that we're going to celebrate in the Millennial Kingdom? The Feast of Tabernacles. The last one is what we're going to celebrate in the, in the Millennial Kingdom. So the one that we don't know much about is the Day of Atonement. When is that going to be fulfilled? I think the Day of Atonement gets fulfilled in Revelation 8. All right, do you see where I'm going with this? Let me tell you why. Man, I feel like I've lost you all. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this as simply as I possibly can. But in Leviticus 16, it's the Day of Atonement. All right, is everybody still with me? Okay, enjoy this, because I am. So, the high priest. The high priest looked phenomenal. He had this gorgeous robe on. He had 12 stones on his chest, one stone for each of the tribes. He had two stones up here, onyx stones, black stones, six names here, six names. Listen, you could pick this guy out of a crowd of fans at the Target Center, that's for sure. I mean, he looked different than everybody else. Everybody else is wearing white with a, with a colored sash. You didn't get to wear lots of colors in the priesthood. You got to wear white with a colored sash. The high priest, he wore this gorgeous thing with a huge headdress and a gold-plated sign on his head. I mean, listen, you, 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 you spot him a million miles away, right? You with me? On the Day of Atonement, God said, High priest, take off your nice clothes and put on the same outfit as everybody else. So the high priest, once a year, took off his regal robes and put on the plain linen garment of the other priests. It tells me, Jesus, he is God Almighty. Jesus is God who created all things, and he is the most glorious, spectacular person in all the universe. True? He deserves, like the high priest, to be decked out in all of his colors. And, but do you know what he did? He humbled himself and took upon himself human flesh. He became like us. He took off his great, great robes, declaring his deity. And he, although he never lost his deity, he took upon himself human flesh, and he looks like all of us. Just like the high priest did that day. Well, then the high priest would offer an animal sacrifice, and we won't get into all of that. But what he would do is he'd go to the altar of incense, with a golden censer. Did you know that? He has a gold censer in his hand. What do, we, what do we read about in Revelation 8? A gold censer. 
God said, the high priest takes the golden censer, puts some of the hot coals from the altar into it, and then incense. Now, we don't use incense in the Baptist church, but if you've ever been around, you throw some incense on some hot coals, and it just begins to smoke and smell really fragrant. True? You've all, you all been there with me? Okay. The high priest was to take this censer, which is basically a, a holding container, fill it with hot coals, and then put much incense on it. And as he put the incense on it, it would create this big cloud. And God said, when you go behind the veil to meet me, you have to have a huge cloud in front of you because if you don't, you will burn up in my Shekinah glory. God said in Leviticus 16, you must have a cloud of incense before you or you'll die. So the high priest, he would make sure, I'm going to make sure there's a thick cloud between me and God. Well, who's the thick cloud? Who's the mediator between God and man? Jesus Christ. So this cloud of incense taken from the altar of incense is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the buffer between God and man. He's a holy God who is righteous that would fry us up with his holiness. The only way we could approach him is through Jesus Christ. So are you guys with me? The golden censer pictures Jesus Christ between it's his presence between us and God. All right? By the way, the magi, the wise men, what did they bring to Jesus' birth? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. I've been off a little bit. I always knew the frankincense and myrrh came from the incense. The gold is from the censer. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it all ties in with the censer. Oh, I, there's way more about oh, the sons of Quran. Oh, we've got to get there someday. We're not going to get there tonight, though, I can tell already. So, are you with me? All right. So, he would take this golden incense, he, this golden censer, put the incense, create this big cloud, and the cloud pictured Jesus Christ being our mediator between a holy God and sinful man. So, in Revelation 8, an angel comes. It's the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Trumpets, the church has already been caught up. It's the Feast of Trumpets, it's over. Now we're later on in the, in the year, and the next holiday is Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur, the angel comes, look what it says, verse 3. Then another angel having a golden censer, Hebrews 9.4 says, Up in heaven there's a gold censer, and the gold censer is with the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. That's, again, another whole lesson I need to teach you. Another day. So the angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. This is the altar of incense. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So you have a golden altar. He takes the coals. He puts much incense. Meanwhile, you have the prayers of Revelation 6.10 where they're crying out, Lord, when will you punish the wicked for killing us? The wicked people have killed us because we love Jesus. When will you pay them back? So those prayers are being mixed with the presence of Christ in the incense. But the angel, look at what he does with it. Verse 4, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. Isn't that crazy? It's, this is up in heaven. I think this is literal. He takes the censer, it's smoking, and he whips it around like a lasso, and he throws it through outer space, 
at our planet going around the sun. And it hits the earth with thunderings and noises and, earth, and an earthquake. Now, last thing, and then I, that, and that's all we're going to be able to do tonight. You probably wonder, what have I been talking about? The last thing is this. I'm going to take you to one more Old Testament story. Listen, do you get the book of Revelation figured out? We need to know the Old Testament. There's one more Old Testament story that is phenomenal. And it is the sons of Korah. There was a day when Korah came up to Moses and Aaron. God had picked Moses and Aaron to lead the nation. There was, do you guys agree? There was no two ways about it. God said, Moses is my leader and Aaron is his spokesman. You follow these two men because they're following me. Karak came up to Moses and Aaron and said, Moses, we don't like your leadership. Why do you get to do all the leading and we do all the following? It is not fair. We want to lead. We want to be the priest and we want to be in charge. You know, that's the big thing. We have such a hard time with authority. But these people basically said, we don't recognize your authority. We don't want your authority. We're going to take over your authority. Moses was so grieved. that, And then God said, you get Karah and his 250 men because Karah got 250 other leaders on his side and they approached Moses, 250 people, and said, Moses, step down. You're no longer in charge. We want to be in charge. Moses is thinking, there's going to be a mutiny here. But God says, tell Karah and the others to bring an, a censer filled with incense. Tomorrow, so the next day, 250 men have a censer. They have these censers with hot ashes and incense, making lots of smoke. Picturing what I just told you about. Because basically, whoever survives this test gets to be the leader of Israel. Because they recognize the true authority, which is Jesus Christ. Well, we know what happens. That, the very next day, the 250 men got all of the nation. You're talking some couple million people, to go against Moses. It's like the whole nation against Moses and Aaron. It said all the congregation was against Moses at the door of the tabernacle. Now Moses is thinking, and now I don't have 250. I've got 250 plus the whole nation against me. God said, Moses, stand back, and I'm going to destroy every single one of these Israelites. And Moses, listen to what he does. He prays, and he cries, and he says, Lord, don't kill all of them for the sin of one man. Save the nation. And God says, all right, I'll save the nation. If Moses had not prayed, there would be fried Israelites all over the wilderness. But Moses prayed and God said, okay, I'll spare the nation, provided they get away from the tents of wickedness. If they run away from Korah's tent and get away from the wickedness, they'll survive. So Moses cries out, get away from the tent. Get away from the tent. Something bad, some judgment is going to happen. And sure enough, Moses said, God's going to do a new thing, and there was the first earthquake in the Bible. The earth opened up, and Karah and, the, the, and, uh, Karah and his family went into this big earthquake, and then the earth closed up again. The earth ate them. Meanwhile, the 250 men are there, and they've got their censors, and they're rebellious against God's authority. They don't like God. They want, they want to be God. So they've got their... And you know what happens? Fire comes out of the pillar of fire over the tabernacle, swoops down and kills all of them and leaves their bodies crisp and just 250 censers laying on the ground. So there were... Oh, so you got fire, lightnings, earthquake with censers with and rebellion against God. 
So do you see why this golden censer, when it's cast to the earth, what it's saying? It is saying, you people on earth have one last opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. You have, here is his presence. You have one more opportunity before the worst judgment will befall you. You must believe in Jesus. His presence is going to be on earth, and when he comes to earth, it's not as a little baby in a manger, it is with thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes, just like the sons of Korah. And everybody's going to have a choice. When that sensor hits our planet, they are going to have a choice. Will they believe in Jesus or will they not? And then after that scene, and by the way, I could go into way more detail. There's so many more verses about it. Uzziah, the king, he, he got leprosy for doing what? Taking the golden censer into the, into the temple. God said, you get leprosy the rest of your life. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Study it on your own, though, please. All right, last thing. The, the trumpets begin to blow. The first trumpet, a third of the trees and all the green grass burn up. The next trumpet blows. And you're talking the shipping, the, a third of the seas turn blood red, and you lose a third of the ships. There's right now on our planet some 80,000 commercial merchant, merchant ships on the seas, 80,000. You're going to lose a third of them at one time. Do you know, you know what that's going to do for food? Here's my final thought, because I know it's already after seven. Listen to this. Everything that mankind takes it just for granted. We take the sun rising for granted. We take trees for granted. We take green grass for granted. We take everything for granted. There's coming a day when the Lord is going to take a third of all of those things away, and he's going to beg men and women to believe in him. And then after that, he's going to take all of the trees, all of the water, all of the fresh water, all of the sun, all of the moon, and all of the stars. And he wants people to trust him, to believe in him. And he will do whatever he can to break the hard heart so people will, will love Jesus. And it's going to take some of the world's greatest tribulation to humble some of these men and women. But still, many will rebel against him. I was sitting, we were sitting at a restaurant the other day. And it's funny, when you're at a restaurant, you can hear people, and you, can, and you hear people using bad language and whatever. And then you're thinking, everything they have is a gift of God. Their bodies, a gift of God. Their lungs, the breath that they have, the fact that they have coordination and they don't have every disease in the world, that's all a gift of God. The fact that they are eating a meal and able to enjoy things, it's just all a great gift. And yet, they despise the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And I think they are living only for the temporal and they have no view of the eternal. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to view, I don't want to live life just with the temporal. I want to live with eternity in view. I do. So we're going to look more this next week, no, the week after, we're going to look more at Revelation 8 and, um, and then we'll get into chapter 9 with the three woes because the seven trumpets, they tell us a lot. They speak volumes to us. So we'll study that. Study more about the gold incense, the gold censer and all of that through the scriptures. You'll find it happen many places. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, at the altar of incense. I mean, there's just, you'll see this a lot. I think it plays a huge role in the future, all right, on this day of atonement. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a merciful God. And someday in the future, you will give a half hour of silence on heaven and earth where there's no judgments. There's no trees being burned up. There's no hailstones that are 100 pounds falling down. There's no earthquakes. There's, there's no damage being done to earth for a half an hour as you just wait for men and women to humble themselves and trust you. Some will. Most won't. 
And then you'll have these seven angels blow their trumpets and great, great tribulation will take place on this earth. And then when the seven bulls are poured out and Jesus descends to this earth, those who, re- who reject you, they will perish. They, they cannot beat you. They cannot win. You are already the victor. If we're on your side, we are on the winning side. Thank you, Father, for our great salvation in Jesus, that he loves us and he died for us and he rose again. And we have this gift of eternal life. May we recognize that most in this world are lost and we need to share this good news with them. There is a day coming when Jesus will judge this earth. Help us to warn people and to remind people that you are a patient God, but someday you're going to get what you deserve. And um, you will have justice be, be done on this earth. Thank you for our Savior Jesus and his coming for the church in, in, in the day of, uh, of his second coming. Help us to be fervent and passionate for Jesus and his word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you everybody for being here tonight. Have a